Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of February 8th, 2022, and this is officially episode number 503, and this is your host, as always, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com, and uh, welcome tonight to uh, another episode, and it's starting to... uh, Starting to see some swirling of the waters of some news uh, coming up. There's a lot of anticipation around. It seems like a lot of UFO stuff lately. Um, And, of course, a healthy dose of strange videos that seem to pop up. And that's going to be our lead story tonight. Probably one of my favorite videos I've seen uh, in a while. It's pretty cool. And uh, took a lot of people by surprise, and people are still arguing about this, which I think is hilarious. But um, uh, we'll talk about that and a whole lot more tonight. We're going, we got a lot of UFO stuff, so people that like UFOs, uh, you're in for a treat tonight. Usually it seems like it's either heavy on cryptids or heavy on UFOs. And tonight, well, it's definitely a UFO night, so uh, enjoy that. Uh, But I got a big story in cryptozoology. Before we get into that, however, uh, we'll talk a little bit of paranormal conferences, conventions. Uh, As always, uh, anytime you want to go to one of these things, be careful, read as much as you can, find out the cancellation policy, uh, what's going to happen to your money if you decide to go to one of these things and they decide to cancel it, uh, whether it's um, a state mandate or if it's uh, a cancellation on their behalf. You know what's going to happen to your to your money, your investment to go to one of these things. Uh, be careful of that, because uh, sometimes they just keep that money, and they just uh, postpone these events. And postponement, we've seen a couple of events postponed from two years ago, and they're still waiting uh, to happen. Um, so be careful with your cash. And uh, communicate with uh, the people putting these things on. Uh, Nothing really major coming up except for probably one of the bigger ghost events of the year. The Dead of Winter Festival, February 12th in Alton, Illinois. That's uh, pretty much your, usually was the launching one. But we've already had one this year in the Ghost Conferences Arena. Uh, And it looks pretty good. I've... uh, been a little hesitant to, to check because I'm afraid to see some of these things cancel. But uh, the handful that I've checked between now and uh, March are on. They're on a schedule, which is pretty good news to see. It's, it's kind of encouraging to see these conferences, conventions moving forward without hesitation and people pulling the plug like we've seen the last two years. Uh, UFO events, I got nothing to tell March. And the same with cryptid events. I did add one, uh, the Oklahoma Bigfoot Symposium 2022, March 12th and 13th in Stillwell, Oklahoma. Uh, That's about it. I really haven't seen much. I'm kind of waiting 
Usually toward the end of February, I'll see a big flurry of stuff uh, for the midpoint of the year. And then the second half usually unfolds uh, toward the end of March. So we'll see how things uh, continue to develop as far as these conferences, conventions are concerned. Uh, I think we'll be pretty good this year. I don't see too many on the horizon unless uh, things take a, a dramatic turn as far as uh, people getting sick and uh, local or state or maybe even federal ordin ordinances uh, with COVID-19. But I'd say we're hopefully 75% uh, done with all this stuff. And we can, uh, I don't know what normal is anymore, but uh, maybe we can start getting back to whatever that was uh, a long time ago. So we'll see. Uh, just keep your fingers crossed and uh, we'll see what develops. So tonight, yes, we've got uh, some cryptid stuff to launch off the show as we normally do. Um, so it's an interesting video. And I, I don't know, like, I, I kind of, I saw it. I see all these videos. People send me stuff. I, I stumble upon stuff on Twitter and Facebook and other social media sites. And I see them in the news. And this one kind of came out of nowhere. And it's been out for a while. But I, I kind of passed over it once. And then uh, somebody sent it to me. They're like, dude, you got to watch this. And I was, I'll admit, when I first saw it, I was a little confused. I had an idea of what I was looking at, but it didn't look right. It almost looked faked, but then, or faked, then I, I kind of realized I was kind of fooling myself because of what people were saying about it. And, of course, uh, if you're watching uh, anything cryptid popping up on social media, there's not been too much lately. Um, generally, this time of the year, we're getting inundated with Bigfoot videos, but I haven't seen really much in the way of Bigfoot lately. Uh, this video in particular that I'm talking about came out of Brazil, and it's been making some waves but -um -bum, uh, on the internet, and it came out, uh, like I said, a while ago. It's uh, January 27th. Seems like, oh, so long ago. Uh, it's a video that was said to contain a mysterious creature chasing a boat in Brazil. And it's it's kind of weird. It's got people divided, as these things normally do. Usually you have half the people watching saying, wow, that's crazy. That's the most scariest thing I've ever seen. It's real. It proves this or proves that. And the other, you have uh, people going, bro, what's wrong with you? It's this. It's obviously this. It's an easy explanation. And you always have that division. It doesn't matter what it is, a ghost, UFO, uh, Bigfoot video, whatever. There's always that division, and everybody thinks their opinion is right, and they always think everyone else is wrong. Uh, so you usually don't get much uh, done. You just have a lot of arguing going on, and you have to sift through a lot of that to find any information. Uh, this one, however, when you get a video that comes from uh, outside of the United States, uh, it tends to create a lot of confusion here in uh, the United States. People don't really understand uh, other areas, other creatures, uh, and it really kind of borders on your personal experiences as well, which is what helped me figure this out really quick after my initial confusion when I first saw this uh, video. And then I watched it again and it's kind of like, oh, well, kind of fooled myself. So anyway, if you've not seen this, uh, there's a 45-second clip of a video 
And it's uh, pretty obvious it was taken on a cell phone, held upright, not horizontal, held upright. Um, and it's uh, there's a caption in Portuguese at the bottom that roughly translates to a mysterious creature chased a boat yesterday in a Rio Grande do Sul. And there's a, also a caption that's dead center in the video that a lot of people were complaining about both of those because it seemed like they were placed in a way that was deceptive to cover up what this creature was. But I don't think it was intentional to cover things up. I think it was just intentional to help get this to be viral. Uh, and the caption that's dead center uh, basically reads, Kira me attacker, which translates to wanted to attack me. And that one is in uh, that one's in basic Spanish to me. It, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty used to reading Spanish. And as soon as I saw that, I knew what that meant. Uh, the other stuff well, I had to actually translate. But um, I, you know, and that sets you up. You see the word attack, and you watch this video. You're like, wow, yeah, this person's being attacked by this creature in the water. And uh, in the video. So, again, if you've not seen this in a video, you're watching from the back of a boat. Can't tell how big a boat is. It's not very big. It's probably a small uh, personal personal boat, obviously less than 20 foot long. It's not that great of a, a boat. Pretty nice engine uh, on the a little motor on the boat. And uh, it's got the you could see the motor. You could see the wake created from the boat moving through the water, the engine pushing it. Uh, in the distance, you can see some city lights across a body of water. Now, it looks like nightfall, although it could be early morning. It's it's kind of hard to tell. Uh, there's no uh, there's no light in the sky that can really point in the direction in which you're, uh, you know, to figure out the time of day, really. Uh, and suddenly, as the boat's moving a along, a few seconds in, uh, from the water off the left side, uh, of the video, which would be the starboard side of the boat, you see uh, this creature come out of the water. So a large, dark creature leaping out of the water. And you see these bright, like yellowish eyes. And it dives back into the water a little closer to the boat than what it launched out of, even though the boat is moving at a, at a fairly decent clip. And it's hard to tell how fast it's going because there's, there's no, uh, other than the water, there's really nothing to, uh, to judge, and it's kind of hard to judge anyway when you're on a boat, unless you're going by other boats pretty close. Uh, so this creature comes out of the water again and again, uh, a few times from that same side, and the camera um, moves to the other side, it pans kind of side to side, pretty much in expectation of seeing this creature come out of the water again, which is a huge clue to me that these uh, whoever's filming this obviously knows what's going to happen or what's going on. They've experienced this before is kind of what I'm trying to say. And that was the biggest letdown when I noticed that because uh, I've seen this kind of behavior before on a boat. Uh, so I, I quickly figured out what it was, although it looked a little uh, different than what you're used to because it's shot at night and there's a bright light going off the back of the boat, which is another telltale sign that this was an expected thing to happen. Um, so first things first, you look at the the creature, this this animal that's 
purportedly going to attack this person in the boat who's uh, easily filming this, not shaking, not screaming, uh, not really moving, just kind of holding the camera still, which is pretty obvious that that's not um, – they're not nervous. They're not scared. The boat's pretty much uh, moving forward. It's not moving around. It's not erratically moving. It's not full throttle either. It doesn't sound to me that this motor is straining or they're really going super fast or they're moving around. It's uh, pretty much holding its course. And the camera is uh, just pretty steady. So um, I don't think it's, uh, you know, somebody who's been taken by surprise by these creatures. And there's really no intention of attack to me. It's just uh, this creature merely riding the wake of the boat. And it's very common. I'm sure if you've uh, spent any time on YouTube, which it's hard to go on YouTube and just watch one thing. We all tend to fall down that rabbit hole. Uh, We go maybe to uh, watch a a story or we click on it in a a news story. The next thing we know, we wake up eight hours later and we're watching, um, you know, epic fails or memes online. And we're like, how did I get here? What happened? Um so we all kind of fall down that rabbit hole on occasion. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you've seen a lot of, probably a lot of these videos, uh, creatures following boats. Uh, there's a lot of them with, uh, orca or killer whales following boats. Uh, but you'll see this in, in penguins, uh, again, orcas, you'll see, uh, dolphins, uh, porpoises, and, you know, a lot of other creatures that follow, boats like this and there's a lot of reasons for this and i've been fortunate i've seen uh, i've been down in florida and a few different places uh, key west and the tampa south of tampa area where i've been on these boats where the the boats take off and these dolphins just kind of come out of nowhere and they start chasing the boats well of course those they're kind of bribed they're they're fed pretty much in between these excursions so the dolphins get used to getting fed from the back of these boats. So of course they're going to chase them because when they chase them, they get rewarded and uh, then they can charge more money for the people riding the boats because they're guaranteed to see dolphins. And, you know, I've seen them close enough that I could probably could have reached out and just touched it in midair. Um, and they act pretty much the same. They're just trying to keep up with the boat and they could overtake, you know, being pulled through the water through that wake. Uh, they easily overtake um that uh, the, they could overtake the boat. Sometimes they're literally swimming right next to the boat and they f- start falling behind. They just jump out of the water and, and overcome that, that wake. So it's pretty easy. Uh, we've seen this behavior before, again, on numbers of videos and lots of stories that have taken place over the years. Uh, I've been fortunate also to be on the other coast out in the Pacific Ocean, I've seen dolls, porpoises. They they like to ride um, in the front of the boat. So the, in the in the uh, in the bow, they ride out in front of the boat, which is kind of weird. And uh, dolls, porpoises, a little strange too. But uh, yeah, I think they've also fell behind and they swam and jumped out of the water behind us as well. Um, yeah, that was a few years ago out in the Salish Sea near Vancouver Island, Canada. Uh, and off the San Juan Islands of Washington State. I've also out there seen a number of pinnipeds, which are seals, uh, sea lions. 
Uh, harbor seals were very common to see on the uh, shores, sunning themselves. They're uh, a little bit, a little bit skittish. But if uh, you don't move too much, or you're pretty predictable in your movements, you're not moving toward them. Uh, they'll kind of stay put. They'll just kind of watch and they just kind of lay there. They look around and then they kind of take short naps and they look around and then they close their eyes and take like a quick nap and they look around. Um, you also have the California sea lions, which are very loud, very boisterous. Uh, stellar sea lions, which are pretty big and very stinky. Uh, we usually only saw those on islands when you're out on a boat. Uh, they look like the California sea lions, but they're much, much larger, like uh, 10 feet. And they're kind of weird because they, uh, when you're near an island with them on it, they actually dive in the water and come close to the boat and kind of, they stare at you and they kind of stand up in the water almost. And they've got these weird looking eyes. It looks like people standing in the water. Uh, and of course, you also have uh, elephant seals out there. We saw uh, giant, um, giant uh, these uh, creatures, there's not a whole lot of them out there, but uh, we did see we're out on a, a lighthouse called Race Rocks out off of uh, uh, Vancouver Island. And we did see a few of them. Granted, we were a little distracted by the fact that we were just about ready to see the uh, uh, JK and L pods of the resident orca that live in the area, the resident killer whales. Uh, that don't eat seals, they eat salmon. Uh, the transients, the ones that don't, they just kind of travel all over the place. And the ones that you see um, in other countries, uh, out in the Atlantic or, uh, you know, Denmark, Sweden, all those, those are all transients. They'll eat everything. They usually go after seals. So seals is the kind of theme here. Um, so... We uh, see this creature come out of the water, and a lot of people were nailing it right away. They were saying, these are seals. Some people were saying they're dolphins, which I've never seen a, uh, a black dolphin that was that skinny, that didn't have a dorsal fin. Looked kind of weird. I uh, don't, don't think it was a dolphin. Um, but uh, pinnipeds. And when I first saw it, I was like, well, wait a minute. Do pinnipeds actually live in that area? And, of course, uh, I did mention this is uh, Brazil, and Brazil is a ginormous country. It is huge. Um, and what did I say? Rio Grande do Sul? And I had no idea where that was at. Uh, so I had to look it up. I had to look up to see if seals were seen in that area. And, like I said, Brazil is a large country, uh, north to south. Uh, it's huge. I think it's taller than the United States, except for obviously if you were to add in Alaska and or Hawaii, but it's uh, ginormous. It sticks up north of the equator and uh, travels down pretty far in South America. It's the um, it's on the eastern side of South America. Not only is it the largest country in South America, it's actually the fifth largest country in total area. In the world, of course, and that's after Russia, China, United States, and Canada. Uh, the question, though, 
are seals common to that part of Brazil? So I had to look it up. I had to look it up on the map, and I realized it's pretty far south on the map. So uh, I kind of already knew the answer to that, knowing that uh, seals are everywhere down there. And they're actually, this area of Brazil is actually south of where uh, some penguins breed. So it's pretty obvious there that seals would be in those waters, would be fairly common. And as a matter of fact, looking at scientific journals, there are seven species of pinnipeds that are known to occur along the Brazilian coast, uh, although none of them actually breed there. They don't really breed on mainlands. They usually breed on islands. And the most common species are the sub-Antarctic fur seal and the South American sea lion. And one of those, uh, probably two, one of those two is probably one that you're seeing in the video. So why is it chasing the boat to go back? Um, well, seals do this for a number of reasons. Any animal chases boats. Uh, you see birds following boats all the time. You know, it's opportunistic. They're getting a free meal. Uh, people tend to, especially fishermen, most boats are out. They're either for pleasure cruising or they're out there for fishing. It's pretty much, or transportation, I suppose you could say, but usually those transport vessels don't have a whole lot of people on them uh, for as large as they are. Uh, so if you're a fisherman, you're probably throwing some stuff back. If you're out for a pleasure cruise, generally you probably have somebody on that boat that's not used to being on a boat, and they'll probably throw their leftover taco down off the back of the boat. And uh, these animals know this. Uh, birds will follow boats uh, very far from shore because they know they're probably going to get a free meal. And these other animals, probably the same. And if these seals are used to being in this bay, uh, this, this area of water near the shore, I'm sure that people have thrown stuff off the back of the boats to feed them. So, they're, of course, they're going to chase them. And, you know, maybe they're just doing it for fun. Uh, they could be riding the wake for fun. Uh, but, again, a, a key is to know these animals and uh, other than training them to follow these boats for food, uh, the big thing here is that it's dark out, as I mentioned before. So this is either at night uh, or early morning. I'm sure people aren't going. Hopefully they're not going out on a boat in the middle of the night. So it's either uh, – and they're going away from shore. So my guess is that they're going uh, out early in the morning prior to the sunrise. That's just my guess. It's a hunch. Uh, but the, uh, the thing of it is, is it's dark out. And if you know, uh, if you either know, or you can look this stuff up, it's not hard to, uh, do a little bit of research on these things. Granted, people get bored. I get it. Uh, they want to see, once they see something and they make their, their guess as to what it is and they see what other people say and they disagree with it, they move on. They go see what, uh, what else Kim Kardashian's doing this week, what, whatever one of the Kardashians is gluing diamonds to their teeth or whatever is happening in the in somewhere else so they can just keep occupied um, but you know if you're doing research you'll find that seals like to hunt in shallow waters at night which perfectly fits what we're looking at this location it's dark out and they're in a bay so we can assume that the seal is out looking for food anyway and again uh, the speed of the boat is not full throttle so to me, this is an experienced uh, fisherman, probably somebody who's used to going out, or at least somebody who's used to driving this boat. And almost certainly 
they have to have seen or heard of this behavior in the past. This time of the year, too, uh, late January, uh, generally these animals are breeding between October and I think February or March. So this is in their breeding season. And in the breeding season, sometimes you have uh, these animals that will wander. You'll have younger pups that are wandering. Uh, this isn't a really small seal, medium size. It's hard to tell. Again, it's dark out. You don't have anything to measure it against. But it looks to me like it's probably about at least six to eight feet long. It's pretty big. Um, so it's hard to tell what it, it's probably a wandering male. So it's very curious. Uh, but I'm sure that these people, if they live in that area, have seen this be behavior before. And to me, it was expected uh, because of the, the bright light. So what about those eyes? People are saying those eyes are fake. There's no way. Those, those look like lights. It's CGI. This creature's fake. I don't think it's CGI. I think it's real. This is a real thing. But what about those glowing eyes? Why do you see those yellowish? They look like lights. Well, of course, if you're uh, paying attention to the video, you can tell that there's a light off the back of the boat. Now, that's not something, if you've ever been in a boat, you don't normally have bright lights off the back of a boat. It's not necessary. If you got a, a decent engine like what's on that thing, you don't have to worry about somebody coming up behind you. You're worried about where you're going and letting other boats know that you're moving. Now, laws up here in the uh, United States, you've got to have a, a small white light on the rear. You don't need anything that's that bright like a spotlight, which is what we're seeing. And that's why we're seeing those uh, that reflection. So... Uh, again, a little research, and I'm fairly familiar with pinnipeds. I did a lot of research on them, uh, again, when I was up in the uh, San Juan Islands area of Washington, getting to see these things for real, not in a zoo. It's totally different. Um, that's pretty cool. And you do, uh, you know, obviously a little research so you know what you're talking about. You know what you've seen. Uh, but I did further research because I'm not familiar with uh, Brazilian or South American uh, seals, but they seem like they're all pretty much the same. Seals are seals. Uh, sea lions are sea lions. They, they pretty much act the same. And according to uh, the Memorial University of Newfoundland's website on seal facts, uh, it says, quote, seals have large eyes to allow them better vision underwater. On land, their vision is greatly reduced. Their lenses are enlarged and almost round adapted for focusing on light that is refracted upon entering the water. Uh, their eyes are specifically adapted for sight in dark and murky water. Eyes contain a high number of rod cells that specialize for black, white, and gray pigments and are sensitive to low light levels. And seals have a well-developed tabidum lucidum, I'm sorry, tabidum lucidium, a layer of reflecting plates behind the retina. We've probably all heard that before if you've uh, been in the Bigfoot arena at all. The tabidum lucidium, of course, is what creates that eye shine that uh, people always talk about with Bigfoot. And of course, we see that here in this video as well. Those bright eyes reflecting. Uh, these plates act as mirrors to reflect light back through the retina a second time, increasing the light's gathering ability of rod cells. Uh, and the, of course, the tabidum lucidium is the same structure that makes a cat's eye appear to glow 
when reflecting light at night. We humans don't have quite the uh, developed tabinum lucidium, but we still get that uh, you know, red eye from uh, light bouncing off the back of our our eyes, basically. It's really, when we see red eye, it's really reflecting blood from the backs of our eyes to the camera, which is kind of gross when you think about it. So uh, the bright lights, basically, we're seeing from these seals' eyes are expected, especially when you have a light shining off the back of the boat. It's almost intentional, in my opinion. Uh, they knew they would see this, uh, even though it doesn't really lighten up these creatures. Of course, they're dark. When, when a seal's in the water, uh, they're dark. They're almost uh, uh, very black, if not dark brownish in appearance when they're wet. When they're on land and they dry out a little bit, uh, they can lighten up quite a bit. Uh, in fact, harbor seals will actually appear white when they're out of the water. I remember seeing this uh, again in Washington when we were up there watching these uh, these uh, little guys on the on the beach up on rocks. Their their dry side was white, and their if they were still wet, it was like black. It was so weird to see that, but that's just how they're designed, uh, so they can um, kind of blend in. They can blend in. Um, so yeah, the glowing eyes. We expect that, especially with the bright light, which is, again, it's not necessary pointing towards the rear of the boat. Uh, the video and all the speculation behind it shows that understanding what is normal is important to rule out speculation. So in this case, obviously, uh, we don't I didn't know, you know, if seals were were in this area or not. Uh, you would kind of expect it because that's kind of what you're seeing here. Uh, but doing a little bit of research. And not jumping to conclusions. Uh, to me, it's it, knowing what is normal is one of my uh, pillars. One of my six pillars to uh, being a, a very good paranormal investigator. If you don't know what's normal, especially when you're talking about creatures, if you don't know what creatures normally occupy the area, then how do you speculate that something is unknown? Because if you don't know the normal stuff, how do you dare say something is in a video that's unknown to that area? It's confusing. So know what's normal. Uh, my other pillars are no substitute for experience. Interview early and often. Do your research. Be objective. And the last but not least, solve the mystery, which is uh, what we've done with this story tonight. Uh, so let's shift gears from South America and SEALs to UFO news. And lots of stuff in the UFO arena this week. And it's, it just seems like we're gearing up for something big this year. And, of course, we're catapulting off of last year, which is probably one of the bigger years in uh, UFO news in a long time. Uh, but this particular story that I'm leading off UFO news this week is uh, one that contains a few elements that I don't normally talk about on the show. And it, it, actually, a person that I don't really like to talk about on the show at all. Uh, but it's probably in the UFO news more than anybody. Uh, but I couldn't ignore how this one played out. Uh, so, of course, the person I'm talking about, Scott C. Waring, who uh, is a self-proclaimed UFO expert who says he is number one in the world in UFO research According to his LinkedIn page, uh, he's very full of himself. 
And uh, this, the th- reason why I kind of ignore him is pretty much – well, it's not even a percentage. It's pretty much everything he's, he ever says uh, is pretty much hoaxed or fake or outlandish opinion on the topic of the UFOs and aliens. And he'll basically take any photograph, any video, or any story, and he can always find some kind of thing to uh, create some sort of ET or UFO uh, claim within these stories. Uh, UFO or extraterrestrial sighting. And he always claims to have extensive knowledge of alien culture. And then he makes the stuff up and he sells these stories to news outlets as fact. And the sad thing here. Uh, Again, he's in the news pretty much every single day for some sort of random claim that gets published. And it's it's usually it's pareidolia. So he sees something uh, in a picture and he blows it up and it gets blurry and you can't tell what it or something that's so far away. And it's a rock and it's the way the light hits the rock. It looks like a face or it looks like he's claimed to see Bibles on Mars before and books and and. uh, UFOs everywhere, pretty much. And it's always just these outlandish claims. But he's got a he's got a pretty big cult following, so maybe I should watch what I say. But um, it's it's generally just hogwash, and that's why I usually just sidestep this stuff because it's hopefully it's pretty obvious to most people that uh, have a head on their shoulders that they're that are looking at these stories realize that uh, he's he's just really embellishing things to uh, to kind of stir the pot. And I'm kind of not a fan of that because, you know, when – and I say when something big happens, stories like this are going to kind of wash away uh, people's thoughts of this potentially actually happening. And so I'm not a, fav- I'm not a big fan of people faking uh, UFO stories or alien stories for their own personal benefits uh, because you're taken away from that, that time when these things actually do occur, which is we don't know when. Uh, but I think that if anything's going to happen, it could happen soon. And that's what a lot of other people say, too. So, But maybe it's just our thought process and where we're at as a culture is how we see those things. Um, so there's a lot of people out there as well that have followed Scott C. Waring that have exposed his claims as fraudulent. There's a, a few people that spend probably as much time as he spends creating fake things uh, and they expose him for that. It's really sad, actually. And that's why I kind of sidestep these stories. But um, but as long as people continue to click on and share his stories, the online news are, are going to continue to publish his claims, even though there's a, a few of them that have, uh, you know, they make mention that he's faked a lot of things in the past. But as time goes on, people forget. And he's been around for a long time, uh, making the same claims over and over again. And uh, a lot of people buy into it. Uh, So one of his latest claims popped up uh, about two weeks ago, pretty much exactly two weeks ago, uh, when he published on YouTube that he found an abandoned UFO in South Africa using Google Maps. Uh, The interesting thing about the location is that it is close to an area nicknamed the Cradle of Humankind. I had to think about that. It used to be the Cradle of Mankind, but that's the Cradle of Humankind where some of the earliest human remains have been found. And so using Google Earth, uh, if you've ever used Google Earth on a computer, I don't know about the the app, if it's as good as this. I don't really use it there. I use it on my 
a computer, uh, you can go back in time with the maps and you can see areas uh, that were photographed at different points in time and then go back and forth to see how things have changed. And he used these maps and he went back, uh, I think, to 2010 and the object wasn't there. And it appeared sometime in 2015. Uh, so if you're in the chat room, I'm going to upload a well, – got a bunch of pictures. So I'm going to upload a couple of these pictures uh, that he has put on. Uh, let's see. Well, we'll do this one here. Kind of a uh, far view of what he's gathered on Google Earth. And you can see this strange-looking shape on the ground. And, of course, if you're uh, just scouring Google Earth looking for these, there's people that they just spend nothing but time looking at Google Earth for weird stuff. And uh, obviously sell these stories to get a little bit of cash. So, yeah, if I'm looking at that, that does look a little weird. Uh, just this little craft-looking thing. out. And, again, this is South Africa. There's really not a whole lot of, of stuff out there. And... So, yeah, maybe it makes you wonder, what could this thing possibly be? And here's a second picture. It's a little more close up to it. It's just kind of a weird-looking thing. Of course, yeah, it does look like a UFO. Uh, so if it looks like a UFO and quacks like a UFO, it's probably a UFO, right? Uh, so he made a lot of claims about this object. And he had uh, – I forget how long the video was. I, I couldn't really sit through it. Kind of just had to go away. Um he said he could see landing legs on it and that that was a sign that aliens have recently come here and attempted to blend in to our society. And you see in the first picture, there's an overview. Uh, you see a lot of dirt, uh, just a few trees. And of course this, this object right by these trees, the circ large circular object. And again, it looks like a little road going away from it. So, uh, you know, he made mention of that, that, this dirt road proves that the occupant has gone from the craft to the nearby city to, quote, help manipulate the direction the human race will go by introducing new technology, cures, ideas, and such, unquote. That's from his video. Uh, the area of being remote, uh, according to Scott, was also proof that the object was intended to be hidden and that it was also proof of aliens. But it's kind of hidden out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it's kind of in the backcountry of South Africa. But it's not hidden, hidden. It's by these trees. And looking at the landscape, if you kind of look at it, it, you know, anytime there's a grouping of trees, there's got to be a reason for it. You know, maybe a water source, because this is kind of out in kind of desert area. Uh, but, you know, of course, of instead of, you know, doing research or figuring out what this thing is, you just call it a UFO. I, I guess that's the, the right thing to do, right? You don't do any research. You just make a claim and then create uh, a story about it. Uh, right. However, it uh, didn't go so well for somebody. A, uh, a few days ago, an award-winning architect... Krenal Nell reached out to the Daily Star to set the record straight. And sometimes the truth is a little bit more interesting than the fiction. And uh, this, to me, is kind of cool. The purported UFO is actually a structure that was uh, built 
designed and built by this uh, Krynal Nell uh, to cover an important cave site that contains fossils that go back nearly 2 million years. And so this structure is built uh, above ground and does sit on legs. And it's designed to not only protect the site and those who are digging there, uh, but will also not hurt the surrounding landscape. So it's it's intended to just kind of be a temporary cover to uh, make sure that as they dig, things aren't washed away, uh, things are bleached, and it, it keeps the uh, workers safe as well and does not damage the landscape as the structure is designed to be taken down and removed at the end of the dig. And I do have some pictures uh, taken at ground level of this object, which uh, puts it in perspective. And, you know, if you spend enough time looking at Google Earth, you kind of honestly, I think you lose perspective of what you're looking at sometimes. Um, because you're again, you're looking from an aerial view, you're looking from space down on objects, so you don't really get to see what these things look like from the ground. Uh, so the first picture I put, it, it's kind of through where you can actually see those trees that we're looking at. Uh, they don't show the cave. Supposed to, supposed to be uh, like a cave-like structure, but I think it's just kind of uh, they've dug in this area. I don't think it's caves like how we're thinking. It's just kind of holes in the ground. Uh, but they built this little hut. It's a few feet off the ground with these legs, and it's got uh, a circular top to it, and they can walk up. There's some stairs they can walk up and uh, probably keep their stuff off the ground away from animals and uh, out of the elements as well. So uh, anything they dig up can be uh, taken care of without uh, anything happening. And we have another picture here that I'll post in the chat room. And uh, of course, during the week, I'll post these stories uh, via the my Facebook page, Paranews Insider. And that's tied into my Twitter page, at Paranews Insider. So you can get a, a look at the, you have to click on the story and you get to see these pictures as well. And the second picture in the chat room that I posted is uh, kind of an overview uh, inside of this thing. And and he says it's kind of like a, an, an insect in the trees. It just kind of meant to blend in with the surrounding area. It's just, uh, again, a structure just to keep uh, the weather away from this, uh, this dig site. And uh, this guy was not happy about... Uh, the claims of it being a UFO. It's actually a very important dig site that uh, possibly you could be reading about in the future with uh, finds from uh, human fossils that go back 2 million years or more. And what's funny, the funniest thing about this is that you dig up some stories, uh, pun intended, on Scott uh, through the Daily Star. They refer to him normally as a UFO expert. However, in this particular story, they refer to him as a conspiracy theorist, which is weird, uh, which is uh, just days uh, – a couple days ago, he found uh, – purportedly claimed to find proof of – was it a woman or just an alien body on Mars? And uh, they put him on there as UFO expert, but now he's a conspiracy theorist. Kind of funny how they choose what side they want to be on when publishing a story, but uh, I'm sure we'll see him in there again, probably tomorrow uh, for all I know. 
but speaking of UFOs, what do we do if a real UFO lands on Earth? Of course, this is a highly debated topic. Uh, it's probably one of the uh, longest going discussions on UFOs and aliens that we've ever had. It's, it's, it goes back well over 100 years at this point. Uh, not only what happens if a real UFO lands on Earth, but what happens after that? What do we do? And what do we think these uh, aliens will do to us? Uh, now, last week we touched on this question as Yuri Geller chimed in on the topic uh, after responding to an article on a team mapping radio waves in space who stumbled upon a strange signal. Now, Geller claims the signal is connected to superior beings in outer space that are communicating with each other and that we've uh, inadvertently captured their communication signals. So we better decipher what's being said. Um, you know, maybe they're talking about us. Maybe they're calling us, uh, maybe they're calling us fat. Maybe they're making fun of the earth because we're small or there's too much blue or something. Maybe there's a, a joke about planets. I don't know. But uh, he's pretty convinced, and he's got some people worried about this as well, but especially when the scientists are a little confused. They don't know what's creating this. They think it's a neutron star. And, of course, you go back historically. I mean, my gosh, I'm going to tell you how many times we've talked about it here on the show. Um, so many different people, uh, scientists, astrophysicists, uh, just various people. Scientists have talked about this topic and non-scientists have talked about this topic. Uh, everybody weighs in. They give their opinions. And it's usually based on fear and sometimes hope, usually more fear um, because that's kind of our culture right now. I guess that's always the, the way it's always been. You know, go back to the 1930s and 40s, uh, all these movies about alien invasion, these strange creatures coming to Earth. And making women scream really loud and uh, just slashing up people. And uh, so we've always had this fear of all this. And, of course, if you just kind of step back and think about it, to, to me, uh, when I step back and I think about what people say about aliens, uh, it seems like there's four theories. And this is just me. This is kind of my my viewpoint. Uh, so first is uh, what's, what's kind of mentioned in this story. Uh, the so-called zoo theory, or I guess you'd call it a zoo hypothesis more accurately. Uh, this means that there are aliens that are, I don't know if they're sitting out in space or they're here in visible ships, and they're just kind of watching us. They're observing. And maybe they're waiting for that right time to interact uh, when we're mature enough as a species and maybe uh, uh, advanced enough, whatever that means. As far as our technology, I think we've come pretty far. You know, the cell phone, uh, smart device, whatever you want to call it now. People don't even use it as a phone too much. Uh, I think it's pretty pretty miraculous coming from when I was a kid. Um, but they, some reason they're just sitting there waiting for us to uh, get to a point where they can communicate with us. Maybe we can't handle their existence at this point. Uh, the second kind of vantage point is that they're already here. But they're mingling within our culture. Uh, maybe they're creating small changes over time, maybe big changes. Maybe they created the, the cell phone. I don't know. And 
Maybe they're steering us to go in that right direction. Uh, but they're hiding in the shadows. Maybe they've taken over our government. Um, you know, there's a lot of thoughts on that. And, you know, there's probably different uh, variations of these first two. Uh, but the last two uh, thoughts on aliens and contacting us center on us uh, not yet having met them. So the first two are they're here. One, they're watching. One, they're interacting in the shadows. Uh, but these last two, um, either good or bad, I guess. Um, people think that they're either going to educate us, maybe slap us on the wrist, show us the way, uh, make us live forever, solve all of our problems, um, turn water to wine. Wait, wasn't I already done once? I don't remember. But, uh, you know, bring us out of the dark ages, I guess. I don't know. Sing Kumbaya. I don't know what, what they're going to do. Uh, and the other, which is uh, seems like it's a prevailing thought, if we've not already made contact or they're not already watching us, they're not already here, uh, they're going to come here and they're going to wipe us out. Uh, they're going to turn us into slaves or living batteries, basically. They're going to, it's going to be like the Matrix. But instead of machines, maybe they are machines. Maybe the aliens are machines. That would be our worst fear. Like the uh, Transformers coming here but that would make sense you know if i were alien species i wouldn't put my own species out into space i would create something to take my place and go to these planets and then conquer them and bring back uh, the heads of the occupants well not really well maybe and probably not but uh you know obviously coming in and wiping out a species isn't very advanced i don't think but that's what we think that they're doing but i think that's because that's what we would do because we're not very advanced we think we are, but we're not. Uh, now, Nick Pope, former British Ministry of Defense UFO researcher, is kind of the Luis Elizondo of Britain, although Nick Pope now lives in the United States. Uh, he's given his opinion on this topic more times than I can count and recently stated that aliens have become fearful of Vladimir Putin and they're packing up and leaving Earth based on the zoo hypothesis, as they fear for their own safety. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I don't think I agree with that, but that's what Nick thinks. Uh, and according to an article by Paul Seaburn on the Mysterious Universe, Pope seems to state the Galactic Federation, which is the purported council of alien species, feels that Putin's actions are leading to war and humans are no longer worthy of further investigation, observation, or even being captives in the galactic zoo. Maybe that's good for us. Uh, I think this is a bit odd since there's always a war going on somewhere, whether it's with bombs or words, and the uh, search for intelligent life is uh, pretty much non-existent from their angle when looking at Earth. Uh, Pope does a, a lot of talking on the topic, but uh, lately his comments have uh, been pretty dire. Uh, he's recently said, quote, if we're being visited, a civilization that has figured out viable interstellar travel is going to be able to crack this planet open like a nut if they wanted to, unquote. Um, I don't know why they would do that. You probably need us for resources, fuel, or, or maybe make friends. This is what an intelligent species would do. You know, what What can we gain other than resources and other, you know, 
living batteries. Maybe we can gain some knowledge. Maybe they, maybe they look to us. Maybe they're really smart because they don't really travel too far. Who's to say? Uh, he goes on to say, quote, if we face an alien invasion, it would be stealth fighters against bows and arrows. And I think he means that uh, we're the bows and arrows. And even that this understanding the technology that would, they would have, their technology would be indistinguishable from magic. It's almost unimaginable. The weapons that an alien civilization may have could wipe us out in a heartbeat, unquote. You know, and that's if they have weapons. What would they need weapons if they're able to travel? Um, and if you're going to travel vast distances, would a weapon really even be on your list to, uh, you know, to use valuable resources? Anyway, Seaburn concludes his latest article by saying that science fiction television shows lean toward benevolent aliens while sci-fi movies lean toward them as being hostile. I guess he's never seen V before. Uh, I don't completely agree with that, but uh, I do agree that we have an awful lot of cultural information from entertainment, uh, TV, and movies about aliens and alien invasions, and it's usually not fun for us. We usually win in the end for the most part. You know, We create a, a computer virus to wipe them out, which doesn't make any sense. Um, or you know, we blow stuff up in typical human fashion. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know how it would go. Um, but the movies where a good contact is made and everybody shakes hands and parts on good terms, uh, not a whole lot of those. There's, you know, there's a few. Uh, but this doesn't bode well for any civilization that stumbles upon this little blue marble in space when this is all we talk about is uh, getting our butts kicked. We have that tendency to uh, probably react with nuclear weapons before handshakes. And so I certainly, if I was an alien species stumbling upon this planet, I'd probably hide as well. I'd probably be a little hesitant because these people seem to blow, blow a lot of things up. Uh, but one thing you, you don't really hear much about is um, the fact that we are who we are and where we're at in space this little blue ball, we're a particular distance from our sun. We're in what's called the Goldilocks zone where life can form. We have a specific gravity. So if you, again, you take us and you throw us on the moon or Mars, uh, we wouldn't survive very well. We would have a lot of problems physically. And that's one thing we don't take into consideration about these alien species is that they're from a different planet. Uh, they're from a different type of gravity, you know, different strength of gravity, uh, different sun, you know, different uh, area of space. They would have to adapt to be here. So really and truly, we already have an advantage by being Earthlings living on Earth. Now, if we're traveling through space, that's a totally different story. Uh, but again, I wouldn't worry about lasers and space weapons so much. But anyway, speaking of finding life in outer space, Avi Loeb has made the news again with his backing of the controversial search called the Galileo Project. I don't know why, um, but uh, this has popped up in the news again, and there's really no new news on this. It's just the same rehashed story. Uh, Dr. Loeb hopes to use technology to capture high-resolution images 
of UFOs in the next couple of years. And I guess it's uh, 2024 is what he said uh, last year. So now we're closing in on that time frame. Whether or not that's true, I haven't seen anything moving toward that goal. And that goal is to establish a network of advanced telescopes that contain infrared cameras, radio sensors, audio sensors, as well as a magnetometer, all going 24-7 to get evidence of a genuine UFO. Magnetometers. I don't know how accurate that would be on a telescope. Hmm. So all you uh, people that investigate ghosts out there, uh, I know I've mentioned this on the show before, magnetometers, uh, EMF detectors, that you all carry around to these looking for ghosts uh, that was used in the UFO field long before the ghost field. Uh, So y'all just playing make believe at this point, because it came from the UFO field first. Well, you're all crazy anyway, but it's, um, I don't know how well that would work because they're usually locally sensitive. You're not going to be able to aim toward a, a spot in space with a magnetometer. Anyway, uh, it's still kind of speculation. I don't think they've gotten this going. It's got to be a lot of money. And if you're going to do that, you got to do it right. You have to have the same equipment set up in the same places uh, for it to be scientifically accurate. You have to have a little bit of overlap in coverage as well. But uh, I don't know. I'm not a scientist, so maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, Loeb was already successful as an astrophysicist, a uh, very knowledgeable gentleman. Uh, but he gained a lot of popularity for his uh, kind of out-of-this-world thoughts when the first known interstellar object that was detected in our solar system uh, back in 2017. You might remember that story that we talked about here on the show. And it's still a lingering topic that Umamua, the uh, large cigar-shaped rock, which, you know, as soon as people saw that, drawing wasn't really a picture uh, of a cigar shaped object. People instantly thought of UFOs. Uh, Loeb felt the object could be a thin solar sail used by aliens. And he wrote numerous papers leaning toward the object being of alien technology. And for a, an astrophysicist, you know, a dedicated scientist uh, not a fringy scientist to uh, jump on that bandwagon was it's kind of weird, but um, he's part of Breakthrough Listen. Um, well, I think he's on all the Breakthrough Initiatives with uh, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence SETI. So he has uh, kind of cut himself off from mainstream scientists, but of course UFOs have become mainstream lately. So maybe he was out ahead of his game. Back in 2017, when he uh, first made these comments, and he's gone from kind of an outsider, maybe to an insider on all this stuff. And he's actually part of uh, the panel for the president to brief on extraterrestrial information. So maybe he's on to something. I don't know. But the uh, like I said, the latest mention of the Galileo project, uh, there's no new information here. It uh, doesn't really push the story forward. It just seems like it's appearing when there's uh, a lot of other topics popping up on UFOs. Nick Pope usually does that. He uh, brings these other show, other other um, I don't say shows, but topics 
stories, that's what I meant to say, uh, back to the surface and that we uh, rehash this. Of course, you know, that timeline getting closer to 2024 uh, is also pretty cool. But uh, if that Galileo project moves forward, that could be pretty big. Uh, but, uh, you know, don't know what the what they're really looking for. If they're looking to solve this or just capture proof of strange things in the sky, um, don't know what they're they're really uh, pushing for uh, as far as that is concerned. Uh, one thing I was going to cover, uh, but we're kind of running out of time. Uh, MUFON is... Uh, it's gotten pretty consistent lately on their sighting statistics, so maybe we might get back into that. I might start talking MUFON sighting statistics in the near future. Uh, so if you're listening to this show live tonight here on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com, you want to come back or hang out, uh, listen to the replay of this show I think is on next. Uh, come back tonight. For Enter the Dark at 10 p.m. Eastern, again, right here on the Paranormal King Radio Network at ParanormalKing.com. And if you're listening to this show recorded as a podcast, well, still come back to ParanormalKing.com and enjoy all the wonderful shows that are here on this awesome network. And I won't see you until next Tuesday. And, of course, Monday, watch out for Cupid. Uh, he's got his bow and arrow out. We've said bow and arrow too many times on the show. Happy Valentine's Day next week. And I will see you day after Valentine's Day. Now, so bring those little hearts in your eyes, and I will see you uh, then. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting. The Paranormal News Insider from ParanewsInsider.com Presented by the Paranormal King Radio Network at ParanormalKing.com